Welcome to Wit and Wire, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes to learn how to start and grow a successful podcast that makes an impact. I'm your host, Melissa Guller, and in each episode, I invite fellow podcasters and industry experts to share their best strategies and advice for podcasters of all experience levels. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Jules Hannaford was successful and happy in her life and her job, but she was still lonely. So she turned to online dating as a last resort after being single for more than a decade. It seemed she was consistently meeting men who were not good enough. One after another, they seemed only to want to swindle her out of her money, and she was getting frustrated. Finally, she met a man who had his life together. Truman was a successful project manager at a construction firm and seemed as excited as Jules was about the possibility of building a life with someone special. Jules traveled across the world to meet him, and the fairy tale immediately began to unravel. All was not as it seemed. This true story is the premise of Jules Hannaford's memoir and first book, Fool Me Twice, which details the dangers and pitfalls she experienced in her search for love online. Jules started writing her book over eight years ago because she decided that this was an important story to assist other women not to get caught in the same trap and to help them make safer, smarter decisions when using internet dating platforms. Jules has always had a passion for people and their stories, so she started her first podcast, Hong Kong Confidential, in 2017 to provide a platform for sharing the stories of interesting and unique people in Hong Kong. Then, in 2019, with the help of her daughter Zara, she decided to turn her memoir, Fool Me Twice, into a true crime podcast, as she feels that this story can make an important contribution to the safety of those navigating the complicated and sometimes illusionary internet dating world. Before we meet Jules, let's hear a sneak peek of her podcast, Fool Me Twice. You meet someone online and there's this instant connection. It's amazing how much the two of you just seem to click. They live somewhere far away and there's some plausible reason they can't travel to meet you. They tell you they're in love with you and you feel optimistic for the first time in a long time. They have a successful career, yet somehow they need money from you to solve a short-term problem, always with the promise of paying you back. Time goes on and they need more money more urgently. You've started to see the cracks and begin to wonder whether they've been lying this whole time. All of a sudden, it hits you. You've been scammed. Fool Me Twice is the story of my mother, Jules Hannaford a woman who was drawn into the dangerous world of sweetheart scams. After a trip overseas to meet a stranger, a dangerous altercation in a Manchester hotel room, and thousands of pounds lost for good, she's here to tell her story. For Me Twice, a true crime podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Ozcast Network, and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Now that we've heard the promo, Let's learn more about the story behind the podcast. So Jules, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I can't wait to learn more about your story. And I think that's a great place to start. So without giving it all away, since of course, I want people to tune into your podcast to hear the whole story, but are you comfortable just sharing a little bit more about your experiences and online dating that eventually became your book, Fool Me Twice? Sure. So I was online dating back in about 2010 and I met this guy in the UK and 
he seemed really wonderful, said all the right things. And I was very excited because I'd been alone for many years. I'd been alone for over 10 years, maybe 15 years already. And I was a single parent and I was really just looking for love. Many of us are. And I went to meet him in the UK and it turned out to be an absolute disaster. And he ended up being a scammer and he, I ended up giving him money on the promise that he would use that to close up his business and then move to Hong Kong to be with me because I lived in Hong Kong and he lived in um, Manchester in the UK. And uh, I ended up getting assaulted by him and fearing for my life. So that's the kind of story in a nutshell. Oh, the story. Sorry? Since it's a huge nutshell of a story, I feel like it's no surprise that it could eventually become a full book and a podcast. Yeah, it was really scary and I really did put my life at risk and that was a really silly thing to do. I did lose money but it was really more the danger that I put myself in and then it did take a long time to recover from the shame and the embarrassment of the choices that I'd made and the fact that I'd been scammed. And what's unusual about my story is that I actually met my scammer it's really rare for someone to actually meet their scammer. I think the fact that I met him makes my story all the more unique. I can't even begin to imagine how any part of that must have felt. But to then decide to write a book, I think, really shows a lot about you. So how did you decide that you wanted to share your story? It was quite a few years later so I think the shame had diminished somewhat and I really just wanted to help others not to get caught in the same trap that I was because what in my research what I'd realized is that scamming is a billion dollar industry it can happen to absolutely anybody and it is something that is getting exponentially more prolific globally and I thought that if I could share my story and stop just one person from making the same mistake that I did then I would be doing the world a favor and so I really wanted to do it for that reason and so I decided to write a book and I actually signed with this agent and set myself quite a short deadline which made it very stressful So it was quite an anxiety-ridden time for me. First of all, revisiting the story and having to write the book, but also having to meet ridiculous deadlines when I was a full-time school teacher at the same time. Mm -hmm. I think it's so important, though, that you did decide to share your story because, like you said, I really don't think people realize how common scamming is. Just last week, I got a trademark scam physical mail sent to me. Somebody in my family has also unfortunately been scammed. I think it happens so much behind closed doors and maybe that shame that you mentioned, people don't want to talk about it. And so the fact that you were willing to talk about it, I'm sure has made a difference for multiple people. Well, that's what I was hoping. And yeah, there was a lot of shame. Like I found it very hard to tell my friends when I straight after the scam and my daughter I told immediately I actually met her she was about 21 living in London at the time so I met her afterwards on my way home and and she was very supportive and really understanding and said something which really has always resonated with me since she said you're really such a good person you are a bit naive though you trust in everybody 
and that's really the the only mistake that you've made is being so trusting and that's such a great quality but it's also put you in danger so you need to take care so that was really sweet but she was really understanding but I didn't tell the rest of my family until I was writing the book which was eight years later Mm-hmm. So it took, I think, you know, it did take a while to come to terms with it and have the courage to do it. It did take courage. But I really think that it's such a big industry and it is an issue that people are ashamed about and they rarely talk about. And if they do, they go on like talk shows in America where it becomes completely sensationalized. I wanted to do this in a different sort of format. And so doing it as a book and then as a podcast and having the story, they're both called Fool Me Twice for anyone who's uh, looking for them. But I'm just so proud of both of them. And my daughter worked on both of them. She's an editor, so she did the final line edit on the book. And then she actually wrote the podcast herself. And that was easy for her to do because she had already done the edit on the book. So she knew the story really well. Mm -hmm. I was about to ask because, of course, I want to learn more about the podcast, at what point did you decide that you wanted to make the podcast instead of only sticking with just the book? I already had a podcast called Hong Kong Confidential. I had that first before I wrote the book. So I've been doing that for three, oh gosh, is it three or four? Yeah, three or four years. That's funny. I can't really remember exactly how long it is. And so I really love podcasting and also I was just listening. I'm listening to podcasts every day. I love them. I'm so into them. I think they're a brilliant form of entertainment. And I also had a degree in communications, majoring in media. So I have some sort of background in this sort of area, even though I'm a school teacher. So I decided that I wanted to turn it into a podcast because the book had been very successful and Once I'd done the book, the shame had gone because I had the support from my work. I had the support from my family. Everybody was really understanding. The book was received so well. It has got so many fantastic reviews. I've sold a lot of copies for somebody who's self-published and had a full-time job so could only market it to a certain point. And I just thought, It'd be great to turn it into a true crime podcast, which is my favourite genre of podcasting. And I just wanted to do something really creative and it was brilliant to work with my daughter on the project. She's really talented. That must have been so much fun to work with her and I'm sure perhaps a little bit therapeutic in some ways to get the story out and to take ownership of it. And what is it like working with your daughter It was great working with her. We actually work really well together. We do clash sometimes um, on sort of direction or the way forward and things like that, but she's incredibly smart and capable and we were always able to come to some sort of resolution and move forward. But I just was in awe of her ability to narrate and put a story together that was compelling and that had different voices and the podcast for me twice actually got nominated for um, a Webby Award this year, and it was nominated for best writing. So that was Zara. So it's absolutely she, amazing. Yeah, absolutely amazing. So it was great working with her, and we're working on Fool Me Twice too now. So that will be coming out. Gosh, I don't know when. We've still got a lot to do, but it's so exciting, and it's about a diamond scam in Hong Kong. So it's really exciting. I've 
so many questions. I want to start maybe in the beginning of what the production process looks like. So because you guys are doing this storytelling serial podcast, what is the behind the scenes process like for your show? So for the process of creating the podcast, Zara took the manuscript, which I had written, but she did the final line edit on. And also, by the way, that book has won two awards as well. So she did an incredible job. She cut out about 9,000 words. She took that and she decided to write the podcast in a narrative form, like nine-part series. And I guess we had to talk about the structure. We knew we wanted different voices. We knew we wanted to bring in experts and other scam victims. And then Zara had the idea of narrating it as my daughter and making it called an investigative podcast where she's investigating why I made the choices that I made and looking into what makes people scam or be scammed. And so she's got a background in psychology. She's got an honours and master's. No, sorry, she's got an undergrad and honours in psychology. So she was able to use that um, degree to help research scamming and look into it from a psychological point of view and add her voice to the story as the narrator with me telling the story. So that added another excellent layer to the podcast. And then In the last episode, I was actually able to get a real scammer from Ghana to come on the podcast, and I did that by swiping right on everyone on Tinder that I thought was a scammer. (laughs) Sounds like the same strategy the men of New York are using. (laughs) Yeah, until I was able to find someone who was willing to talk to me and be interviewed. So that was a real coup because some of the experts, scamming experts that we had on the podcast really said that They had tried for years to talk to scammers about what they were doing and what was the motivation behind why they were scamming and they just couldn't get anybody. So it was a real coup for me to get somebody to talk to on the podcast. Do you think it was um, just sheer like effort and amount of people you were swiping on that led you to find somebody who was willing to talk or what made them say yes? It didn't take me too long. I really only spent about 20 minutes until I got somebody I could talk to. And I, I... change my tactic rather than get contacting them on uh, WhatsApp and saying, oh, I'm looking for a scammer for my podcast. I made a connection first and made him laugh. We chatted. And then I said, actually, I'm looking for somebody who tries to get money out of people online. And I'm wondering if that's you. I have a feeling it is. Could, you know, would you be on my podcast? It would be anonymous, blah, blah, blah. And he agreed. So that was exciting. I have to first say that your approach of first learning that you have to romance the scammer before proposing is, again, good advice that many people are not taking on dating apps. But before we go back to podcasting, I have to just briefly ask, how did you know who some of the scammers were? Like maybe some quick tips of things to look for. There's so many red flags to look out for. And in actual fact, I've got a chapter on red flags at the end of my book. Mm-hmm. But they're often people who have double-barreled names for a start. That's a massive clue, like John Williamson. Nobody has two names on Twitter unless they're called Jean-Pierre, but <laughs> some two random names that don't fit. They're often widowed. They have. They say they're on an oil rig or they're an engineer or any kind of employment where they could move around a lot. There are no oil rigs in Hong Kong. So they're on Tinder. They say they're five kilometres away, but they work on an oil rig in Hong Kong. There are no oil rigs in Hong Kong. So (laughs) it's just – and people, they request – 
They make unrealistic promises to you. They go to love bombing. So they say things like, I love you or you're amazing really early. They say they're widowed. Oh, I said that, sorry. They call you dear. That's another classic. Many of the scammers use the word dear. They have profile photos that look like they were taken by a professional. They use really generic statements on their profile without giving really any information. There are often mistakes in their profile. They use words like God-fearing. That's very typical. You might some, Somebody might write that if they're on a Christian dating site, but on a general dating site, that's really uncommon and is a really good sign. So that's just some of them. I've got pages of red flags. You literally wrote the chapter on it, the book on it, one might yeah, say. Exactly. <laughs> Our listeners are going to get a nice two-for-one dose of how not to get scammed and also how to think critically about your podcast. So I... I can't even imagine how many more there must be. But to get us back to podcasting, we were talking a little bit about the production process. I'm also curious, how long were you working on the production of the podcast before you released it? So we started in about March, I think, last year. And that's when Zara was writing it. And then I went to the States where she lives in July and we recorded in a hotel room in the States. And then I came back to Hong Kong and I edited like crazy. I think I did 250 hours of editing on the nine episodes. Wow. And then we sent it to sound design. We've got an incredible sound designer in Brisbane called Shade Furlong and he's amazing. So all of the music in For Me Twice is specifically created for the show and is all unique to the podcast. So we sent it to Sound Design in August and we released on the 25th of October last year. So and I guess it was March, April, May, June, July, August, September. It was about an eight-month process to put the whole thing together. Yeah. I ask because I think a podcast like yours, which clearly is – very thoughtfully done and has a lot of different elements doesn't happen overnight. And I know with a lot of the people in my podcasting community, the launch day is, of course, a very big day and people are maybe anxious to hit that day. But I think it's okay to take the time to work on your production and instead of measuring how quickly you can launch, instead ask yourself what kind of creativity, what kind of message you want to put out there and whatever amount of time that takes as long as you're you know, taking action. I think that's what matters more. I totally agree with you. And in actual fact, it's interesting you say that because I'm on school holidays at the moment and was hoping to be editing for me twice too now. But my daughter didn't have the time to write the podcast when I needed her because of other work commitments. So we're behind in that process. But we don't have any deadlines. We're not beholden to anybody. We haven't, we're with Oscast Network in Australia, but they're absolutely 100% supportive and are just ready to put the podcast out whenever we're done. So instead of me panicking and thinking, oh gosh, I should be doing this now and I've got the free time, it's just going to evolve as it evolves. And I, I want it to be the best that it can be. So I don't want Zara to rush her role. And in actual fact, this has given me an opportunity to have an enforced break. And that's been so good for my well-being because since I started Hong Kong Confidential, I've really been working virtually every day. I teach full time. I wrote the book. I had Hong Kong Confidential. I did fool me twice too. I worked all through last summer on the project. 
So it's really fantastic to actually be getting a break and to just recharge and look after my well-being and take a bit of a break and then fall back and regroup and get ready to start for me twice too whenever Zara's ready, which will be soon to get started. And like you say, we're hopeful to launch in the end of August, uh, sorry, end of October or in November, but it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if it's not till next year. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I think it's so funny how we, of course, I think it's good to have goals and to aim towards something, but often I find myself feeling the stress of these deadlines. And then I have to remind myself that I'm the one who said it. Therefore, I'm the one who can change it. And if I launch something two weeks later than my original plan or a month or even two months or it never happens, that's okay. Like I try to remind myself that as long as I'm doing little things and that I'm continuing to take action, that's what matters more, the habits, not the outcomes. But it's hard in the moment. And I know a lot of people do feel very stressed about feeling this sense of being behind somehow. Yeah, I think that's really the key is you set your own deadlines. And I wouldn't advertise when we're going to launch until we're right down the end of the process and it's in sound design and we know when it's going to be finished and that's when I would start the launch process and the advertising. We've mentioned in one of our kind of little bonus episodes in For Me Twice 1 that For Me Twice 2 is coming. I've made a few comments that it's coming on different uh, podcasting pages on Facebook but I haven't really even made an official announcement that it's coming yet and I won't do that until it's at least written. Once it's written and we're making it, then I'll know what the timeline is and I just have to wait on my daughter and that's what you get when you're working in a team as well. We'll also have to wait on Shade when he's ready to do the music. If he's got other jobs at the time, we'll have to wait for him too. So that's what you get when you're working as a team and I think That's the difference from doing a solo podcast where you're doing everything yourself, which is me with Hong Kong Confidential. Then -hmm. you're able to manage your time a little bit better because you know exactly when you can get things done and you're only relying on yourself. But there's something really special about creating something that is being so successful, so well received, has been nominated for a Webby and and we did it as a team of three and we were up against Luminary and Netflix and some amazing podcasts and here's our little indie podcast from Hong Kong and Australia being up there with with other really big name podcasts that would have had production teams of 15 or 20 people. Amazing and now I forget which publication I read this in from your media page on your site but correct me if I'm wrong I think within the first three and a half months you had reached over a hundred thousand downloads is that correct? Yeah that's correct so we that's mind-blowingly amazing (laughs) congratulations by the way. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was incredible how quickly it just shot up the charts. And it was basically less, just less than four months, 100,000. And at eight months, we hit 200,000 downloads. And, it, and we're just going into the ninth month now. So, Do you have it, any sense of what has caused that kind of growth? I think, first of all, me having quite a high profile in the podcasting community through Hong Kong Confidential and just going to different pod fests, pod movement, we are podcasts, the True Crime Podcast Festival last year, making connections, really being active on social media in the podcasting circles. And just the fact that Americans love true crime, like it is such a huge genre. Like, My listening audience is predominantly uh, the USA. 
I just think all of those factors and the fact that I'm very good at marketing my podcasts and I did press releases and I have used paid ads and Twitter retweet groups and I really did market it very well and, and I think that played into it as well. So all of those factors. Yeah, I think it's so important that you mentioned too that you were well-connected in this space. Like sure, the podcast launched and three and a half months later, you have these impressive numbers. But it's not as though that was your first day on the job. You had so much of a foundation and a reputation and a you know repertoire really already built. And I just I always like to point that out because I think a lot of podcasters, we said earlier, they feel behind about launch, and then they feel behind if they don't have huge download numbers in their first month. But really, I think that it's about a longer term perspective when you're a podcaster. Things don't happen overnight, but they do start to grow eventually. Yeah, and I think I forgot to mention one of the best things I think for building my audience was cross promos with other big podcasts. And these are people that I'd connected with throughout the years as a podcaster and through these networking at these festivals. But Christy Lee, who's an Australian girl who has a a Canadian true crime, she played my promo and she has 10 million listeners. Josh Hallmark from True Crime Bullshit, he played my promo. And Javier Lever from Pretend Radio played my promo as well. So I had these big name podcasts with big audiences who played my promo. And I'm so grateful to them for their support. And I think that had a huge impact on me getting very quick downloads and big numbers starting very early on. So I Mm -hmm. really do recommend that. But you can't just random. Actually, maybe I did just. No, I randomly approached Christy for a promo for Hong Kong Confidential ages ago and she was really gracious and then we connected on Facebook and we chatted and messaged and then we met at the True Crime Podcast Festival. So I built a friendship with her and I think it's always important that you try to add value to others. Could you help me? But what can I do to help you? So I offered all of them to play their promos and just share their posts and I comment on what they do and congratulate them on their achievements online and all that sort of thing. So I think you really have to try and interact and connect and add value to others, not just expect them to do something for you for nothing, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. I think that's so important and such great advice, not just for podcasters, but really anybody running any kind of online business or platform, just giving more than you expect to receive and always sharing value instead of just asking for yourself. I think that's so important. I do want to ask you maybe to tell us a little bit more about cross-promotion because maybe for some of my listeners who are newer, that could be a new concept. So how do you pitch somebody on doing a cross-promotion and then what does the actual audio sound like? So I would create a one-minute or less promo because people don't want to play anything that is much longer. And I think putting together that promo and making it slick and making it really professional is very important. And people can go to my Fool Me Twice podcast or to my webpage, fullmetwicepod.com, and they can listen to the promo and the trailer that I created. So I did a promo, which that's where I it went on to other people's podcasts. And then I did a five-minute trailer, which I put out on social media. And I think both of those things were a really good idea. Now, there's something that I've since learned about, which is called a feed drop. 
Now, a feed drop is where you might put that five-minute trailer in somebody else's feed. So, for example, I did that for Javier Lever for his new podcast, Criminal Conduct. So he sent me a five-minute trailer for his podcast and I literally drop it in like a bonus episode in my feed. So it's not just attached, like a promo is attached to a specific, sorry, <laughs> a promo is attached to a specific episode whereas a feed drop is put into the feed and it becomes like a standalone little mini episode itself. So you'll see all of these in Wondery and some of the big podcasts where they introduce other podcasts on the feed of one that you're already listening to. So now I didn't know about this when I was doing Fool Me Twice One, but I will ask some of my friends, like Javier will definitely do a feed drop for me because I did one for him and his feed drop got, I don't know, 8,000 downloads on my podcast. So both of the, all three of those method, methods, a promo, which is a short one minute, a trailer, which is three to five minutes, and a feed drop with your trailer are all great ways to get cross-promotion and build your audience. And if you've made a connection with people in who have a big-name podcast, and they don't have to be massive, you're not going to get a feed drop in something from Wondery or Gimlet or something like that because when they're with big professional networks, it's impossible to get that because of they already have their sponsors and advertisers. But there are some big podcasts out there like Canadian True Crime and True Crime Bullshit and Pretend Rap Radio that are all independent podcasts. So you want to connect with those people and find people in your genre if you can and, yeah, go from there. Does that is that helpful? Does that make sense? Oh, definitely. I think having you explain even just those three different types of audio and how they're used is so helpful. And in the end, you mentioned to look for somebody in your genre, but maybe specifically what kind of podcasts would be a good fit to partner with? And then maybe are there some that are too close to your own topic or what's like the sweet spot of who you should be pitching? Look, I just think anybody who is generous enough to support you and Mm -hmm. is willing to share your promo, and it doesn't really matter whether they have a small number of listeners or a large number of listeners, because every time you play your promo somewhere, you're going to pick up a listener or some a few listeners. Like for Hong Kong Confidential, I approached podcasts that I loved and podcasters who I admired and I emailed them and I said, hi, I'm Jules Hannaford. I'm from Australia. I live in Hong Kong. I've just started this podcast called Hong Kong Confidential. Would you be kind enough to play my promo on your show? If you would, I'd love to play your promo or promote your the show, episode that you put it in any way that I can and put it on all my social media. And the thing that I notice is the podcasting community are so generous and supportive. So here's this random little just interview style show and people like Christy Lee played my Hong Kong Confidential promo in her podcast as well and that's how we became friends. So you can reach out to people via email or Twitter or Facebook Messenger, sorry, and I just think that I don't think there's any podcast you shouldn't go with unless it doesn't fit with your brand. If it's a podcast about football or something and that's like nothing to do with what you're doing or if it's something you don't agree with, then if it's a podcast with loads of swearing and that's not in your wheelhouse, then 
don't go for those kind of podcasts. I think it's always also important, know the podcast and talk about why you enjoy it and why you would love it if they would play your promo. Just don't reach out to somebody who you haven't listened to their podcast and you don't know anything about what they're doing. And if you listen to somebody's podcast, you'll hear whether they play promos or not. For example, I became really good friends with Shelley and Mary from the Latter Day Lesbian podcast. We contacted through social media, we started interacting by messenger, and I asked them to play my promo. And now theirs is an LGBTQ podcast about being a Mormon, but it's such a brilliant podcast. I absolutely love it. I've listened to every episode. I'm passionate about it. I've connected with them. I've uh, We've done a promo swap and I played their promo. They've played mine and we have a great friendship and re- I'm really hoping to meet them at one of the festivals. So it doesn't really matter. It doesn't have to be in your genre. I think just a podcast you love. Mm-hmm. I think that's great advice. And two, what you said about making sure that not just the topic aligns, but I don't know, like the way that they talk to their people, just that you feel that you would have even a kinship with this person or the way that they want to present themselves in their podcast to the world. Like the human behind the podcast is probably as important as what they're talking about. Yeah. Like I would never want my promo played in any kind of podcast that is sexist or racist or um, is negative towards women or anything like that. I wouldn't, it's not, that doesn't fit with who I am as a person. So I think it's, that's why it's important to know the podcast that you're asking to have your um, promo played in. Mm -hmm. Great point. Now this is maybe a broad question, but since you have such a broad amount of expertise about two very different types of podcasts. Do you have any just advice, I would say, maybe any strategies that you think would help other podcasters, whether it's about production, marketing, or even a little of both? I think just do your best. Put it out there. Don't overthink it. Don't worry that it's not perfect. Because if you're looking for perfection and you're already a perfectionist, you'll never put it out there. You've got to be prepared to just do the best that you can and put something that you're really happy and proud of out there. You're going to get criticism. And, in fact, the bigger your podcast gets, the more trolling or negative reviews you'll get. Like I've had loads of negative reviews for Hong Kong Confidential for the ads that I ran. But it's people are either not listening exactly to the ads and they're misinterpreting them and they feel like they're a scam when they're not or they feel like they're ironic when they're not. But also that's the only way I was able to make my income from that podcast and I was so grateful and so lucky to be able to launch with um, sponsors. Before I even started, I had six sponsors. So what a privilege as a podcaster to have that. So these people who are criticizing my ads, first of all, they know very little about podcasting. They don't understand how advertising is often your only revenue. And it's easy for people to sit behind a computer and criticize. Why don't they get out and make a podcast and show us what they can do? So I think it's really important to not buy into this negative criticism. Don't panic. Don't second guess yourself. Don't judge yourself. And just feel proud of what you've created and ignore any haters or negativity that you get because people do, people really do beat sometimes and you've got to understand that just take it with a pinch of salt and move forward. So I think that's one piece of advice. I think 
you really need to think about how you can be effective and efficient. As a full-time teacher, I actually ended up outsourcing my editing to Bear Beat Productions in the Philippines. They're brilliant. They're very cheap. They do an excellent job. And I just didn't have the time to edit an hour-long weekly podcast and be a full-time teacher and, and meet all the demands of my job while I was writing a book as well. I think working out where you can outsource, for example, with Fool Me Twice when with the webpage, I got a teenager from a, a Facebook page where they're advertising Hong Kong teens part-time work. I got a teenager in Hong Kong to create my podcast for me and now she's like my virtual assistant. So she does a lot of work for me and I pay her a small amount of money to do these jobs and she's absolutely brilliant. So look at ways that you can outsource and get support if you can't manage everything because I know a lot of podcasters really feel that time is one of the real commodities that they feel like they're lacking a lot of the time. So that would be my advice in production. Also have good equipment if you're going to do it, if you can afford to get like a Zoom H6 or something like that, then get it because it will increase the quality of your production. Of course, if you can't, that can't doesn't mean you shouldn't. Like you can record on an iPhone these days and that can be good enough. Or I'm using a Blue Yeti mic right now in this interview and that's fine. But if you can get good equipment, do it. And yeah, think about what hasn't been done before. What can you do differently that's different to all other podcasts? And then finally, maybe some tips on interviewing. Would you like to hear that? Oh, definitely. So when I do an interview podcast, what I do is I don't spend loads of time. Like I, you could spend hours researching somebody, but I really try to keep it to about 20 minutes researching somebody. And I research them and I also maybe research the topic. Like say, for example, I'm doing an interview with a doctor in, on genetics. Actually, <laughs> I've got this coming up and I've got to do these questions this week. I will research genetics. I'll research this doctor. I'll do it very quickly. I'll maybe look for interviews on genetics so I can get an idea of questions that have been asked in the past. Then I put together about 20 questions, which lasts me for roughly an hour or an hour and 15 minutes. I will send the questions to the guest and say, please feel free to add, change or delete any of these questions. But please also do not prepare any answers in advance because a spontaneous interview is much better than something where they've got prepared answers. And I also let them know that I don't always stick to the questions because I'm guided by our conversation and by what is said to me. And then I think it's really important when you're interviewing, you can use your questions for sure, but if it's a really great interview, you often won't use the questions because you'll be so engaged in the conversation. And being a good interviewer as a podcast, you've got to, podcaster, you've really got to listen and you've got to remember the things that they're saying that you would like to follow on with. And you've got to give them space to talk. You, it's really, it's a skill not to jump on top of people and cut them off and interrupt them and really to let them talk and then to know when they're finished. So they're, they're my interviewing tips. I think those are really strong tips. And I think the last few in particular about listening, I often feel very tired after a good podcast interview. And usually it's because I learned so much, but it's such an active process of listening to what the guest is saying and then making sure you're catching key parts that you might want to come back to. And like you said, not stepping over them. I've found that usually I give more of a space after people 
are done talking just in case they want to keep going because at first it's a very new like feeling being an interviewer. It's not like a conversation at all. It's really a much different type of um, moderation. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And it's a skill and you can really get better and better at it. Speaking of interviewing, ours is coming to a close fairly soon, but I'd love to learn more about what you're up to. You have, of course, your full-time job that you've mentioned. I know you're on a break currently, and we've heard a bit about season two of Fool Me Twice. I'd love to hear just what's coming up next for you. So I'm still working on Hong Kong Confidential, and that's a weekly interview podcast with really amazing people. And I've just put out my 150th episode. So that's a real milestone. And I'm working on Fool Me Twice 2, with it, which is about a diamond scam in Hong Kong, and I'm working on that with my daughter and our sound designer again. So I'm hopeful that'll be out by the end of the year, but we won't set any major deadlines yet. And, yeah, I'm continuing to work full-time as a teacher. It's been quite difficult at the moment because of COVID, so we've been doing online learning, which is really quite hard work, but... I'm proud of how our schools cope with it and our students are very resilient. And, yeah, and I'm just um, carrying on with that and, and trying to balance and take care of my well-being because podcasting can be a very consuming hobby or, or pastime or career for many people and I think it's really important to take care of yourself and make sure that you have time to rest and relax and recharge because life is very fast and stressful. I'm really excited for the Diamond Scam story. It's got so many twists and turns. It's so exciting. I'm doing it with um, a friend of mine, Sally, who is a diamond um, merchant in Hong Kong. And, yeah, I'm just so excited for it to come out. And we're featuring some of our same experts from Fool Me Twice 1. So there's going to be very much a continuity in style and structure as well. So that's quite exciting. Mm -hmm. I love that. And it's such a clever idea, too, because, of course, with a serial show like yours, like your story did have a beginning and then an end of that chapter. And so to do now another story, but to take all the good parts that were working, like the team that you worked with and the style that you've developed and now applying that to a new story must feel very exciting. Yeah, it is so exciting. And I people are just going to be amazed by the story and we're keeping it all very much under wraps but it is about a really fascinating diamond scam with lots of twists and turns and um, yeah we're just looking forward to putting it out when it's ready and hope that it gets as great a feedback and and response from the audience as for me twice one did when we're really grateful to our listeners and uh, for all the support that we've had from other podcasters whether it be in retweet groups on Twitter or whether it be sharing promos and and trailers and things like that. So we're very blessed. Yeah, I feel very blessed to have had you on this podcast. I feel like you've shared so much about your own story, but also so many really great pieces of advice for podcasters, both about just like the mindset around maybe being a little kinder to ourselves, but also very tangible marketing takeaways. So I really feel like they've gotten so much out of this. And if listeners do want to connect with you or learn more or get notified about new episodes of your podcast, where can they find you? So they can find me at jules at hongkongconfidential.net. That's my email. And if they just subscribe to Fool Me Twice on 
um, any podcast platform, then they'll get notified when Fool Me Twice 2 comes out. It's the blue logo. There is another one called Fool Me Twice, which is a red logo. So it's not that one. And I'm on Twitter at, at Jules Hannaford and I have Instagram and Facebook for Hong Kong Confidential and Fool Me Twice JH for Jules Hannaford. Perfect. And I'll make sure there's links to everything in the show notes as well. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us this week. To learn more about Jules, Fool Me Twice, our podcasting resources, and everything mentioned in today's episode, check out the show notes at witandwire.com slash fullmetwice. Before you go, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you can receive new episodes right when they're released. You can hit subscribe in your current app to get phone notifications, or you can also sign up for email alerts at witandwire.com slash podcast. Our emails are the best way to stay updated on our latest podcasting tips, strategies, and program openings. So again, the way to get on that list is to visit witandwire.com slash podcast. Thank you again for joining me, Melissa Guller, in this episode of Wit and Wire. I'll see you next time, podcasters.